Hello and welcome to Always Take Notes. Now, in a breach with tradition, we're actually recording this introduction in advance of doing the interview because I have to travel tonight for a story. Uh, but on Friday, Cassia is going to be speaking to Joel Awusu, who's an editor at Unbound, the uh, publishing house in London that is shaking up traditional publishing in a kind of digital, crowdsourced, very trendy way, which we will find more about, about in due course. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversation, actually. I have actually sponsored um, one book by Unbound before, but I look forward to um, learning more about their methods, why they've decided to break with tradition and, and how they've found it um, going up against a very established um, publishing industry with a, a completely new and untried method. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. We hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. We are here in the offices of Unbound in North London, and I am here with Joelle Owusu. Is that how That's you say right. your name? Thank yeah. goodness. Uh, I always get, people always get my name wrong. Um, right, right. So <laughs> I feel a pressure to get other people's names right. Okay. You are um, a commissioning editor at Unbound, a lapsed geologist, yes. and a writer from South London, yes. um, and also the author, I'm not sure if you would call it, I guess it is an author, of um, Otherness, which is your... Um, unedited diary which you very bravely unleashed on the world uh, late last year and we'll talk a bit more about that in a little while Um, but I was wondering if you'd start off looking at your career thus far and how you took the leap um, from geology to publishing. Sure Um, yeah so my dream as a child was to be a geologist from the age of seven It was rocks, it was fossils, it was dinosaurs, (laughs) precious stones and all that stuff. Um, And I made the decision at seven that I will be a geologist, I will. And although there were twists and turns along the way, GCSEs and A-levels, I actually, you know, um, did go to university to do geology. Um, But it was there in my final year. Uh, Actually, I think it was third year, actually. I did a four-year course. Mm. I realised that I don't think this is for me anymore. What rock was it? <laughs> Which rock? Oh, yeah, it was a, it was a piece of nice. Uh, no, um, it was it was more of the environment. Um, it wasn't very. I mean, it doesn't have to be female friendly, but um, the women and the girls on my course, um, I did notice that a lot, you know, dropped out, and mm. it was quite a hostile environment. Um, even as a student, um, to enter the um, geology, especially petroleum industry. And I, I just had to fight every single day to yeah. kind of prove myself on this course. And I was the only one kind of speaking up about it, to be honest. I realised mm. there was a problem, um, but there was nothing I could do about it that much. And then it got to um, fourth year and it came to, oh God, what am I going to do after? Because mm. most people just go straight into a master's um, and then onto a PhD and then, um, you know, maybe try and find a job in oil or hydrology or something like that. And I just looked at myself and I thought, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I have the money for a master's. Mm. Um, I already have, you know, um, nine grand a year loan to pay back. Mm. Um, I just didn't want to, I just needed a job. I needed money. Um, And also, I just didn't think geology was for me anymore. Mm. I loved it as a passion when I was younger, when I was doing it on my own terms. But because I was kind of, um, our course changed and I was kind of pushed into the petroleum side, Mm. I realised that it just totally, it just wasn't for me at all. And so it was that moment at the end of third year where I made the decision to carry on, um, fourth year graduate, but that year, fourth year, really think about what I really, really, Mm. really want to do. 
and I'd always had an interest, an interest in books and writing and I loved to read. I was a massive, massive bookworm, still am. Um, so I just took the leap to try and try and see if I could get into the publishing um, industry. And I knew it would be very, very hard because I'd had no experience. I didn't even do English for A-level mm. um, or anything like that. So I knew it would be really, really difficult. But I just, I just had to make that leap before I was pushed into a career that I didn't want to do. I'm um, amazed that <laughs> <laughs> that facing the crunch of loans and needing money, that publishing was the industry that I called know. you. I know, goodness, goodness <laughs> me. <laughs> but uh, I'm also really intrigued by how you how you ended up making that leap. Did you start doing internships? You know, now there are a lot more paid internships, but I went through the unpaid internship, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you did as well. How did you manage it? And and did you know which area of publishing you really wanted to be in, or was this sort of a journey of discovery? It was a total journey of discovery, to be honest, um, because I didn't know much about the publishing industry. Um, so I was kind of going into it quite naively, being like, I want to work in publishing. <laughs> and then it was only when um, I had to actually sit down and ask myself which area. I didn't have a clue, to be honest. All I knew is that I loved reading um, and I loved writing, and that was it. And obviously that's not really enough. That's not really good enough. You do need to know. So I did a lot of research. I did a lot of LinkedIn, um, a lot of LinkedIn um, stalking, basically. I found, because um, I had Twitter, and I found mm. editors... Um, that I loved online mm. um, from different publishers and I just stalked every single one of them I didn't even realise that people could see that I searched their names <laughs> in LinkedIn which was really embarrassing actually um, and I just kind of looked at where they came from yeah. and what they did for A-levels where they went to uni what they studied and the internships that they did to see if I can kind of do the same mm. and I just realised that I just didn't have the experience I didn't even have a network or anything um, so it was it was um, a real challenge, and so I went down the internship route. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all after I graduated, yeah. um, and I was poor. I was back um, in London. Well, I was back in Surrey with my parents, and I was panicking at this point, um, and I couldn't find an internship. Um, they all wanted um, experience, and by experience they meant um, at least graduated with some mm-hmm. kind of creative um, degree, and I didn't have a creative degree at all. Um, so I was just very upset about that. I just knew that this, or maybe I should just give up on this whole um, publishing dream. And then I actually discovered Creative Access, mm-hmm. um, which is a charity that um, provides internships and creative opportunities to um, BAME, so Black and Asian and Mixed Ethnicity um, people. And even then, I applied for so many internships. And these are all paid internships, by the way. But I realised I just didn't have, I still didn't have the experience and it was just stress and stress. And, but then I found one for Unbound mm-hmm. um, and that was for publicity and editorial. And I thought, oh, this would be good actually because I don't know which department I want to go into. I had publicity background um, because I was a blogger mm-hmm. and um, I was always going on press trips and I was always publicising something and reviewing things like that and promoting things. So I thought, okay, I can go with go with that but also the editorial side um you get some exposure to it get some exposure to that as well so I thought that was perfect um but that was the last internship I'd applied to because I had been rejected from every single one and I'd applied for 
I think by the time I applied for the Unbound one, I'd applied for about 20. Mm. And just getting rejection letter after, re- well, email, rejection email after rejection yeah. email, straight away, there wasn't even like a <laughs> maybe like a week gap. It was just almost instant. I was just really discouraged. So I said, do you know what, if this Unbound one, if I don't even get a first round interview, then maybe this isn't for me. And because I'd given mm. up by that point, I was just desperate um, just to see if I could, you know, just find a way, just as an intern, just find a way into the industry. But there did come a point where I was thinking, okay, maybe I should just go back to geology then, mm. because clearly <laughs> it's not written in stars that I should do this. If it makes you feel any better, I did do a creative degree, and I also <laughs> applied for about 20 different internships, and mm-hmm. I kept a little log of who I was applying to, right. and, and who I'd emailed already or written letters to. I was writing handwritten letters as oh, well. Wow, wow. Um, and I got re- I didn't even get rejection letters from most of them, and I only got accepted for one unpaid internship. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Yeah, I was very fortunate um, to actually get on with um, mm. with Unbound. I had to do about two interviews, and I'm very very um, fortunate that it was paid. So mm. I've never actually had um, an unpaid internship, and yeah. that was pure luck, to be honest. Long way that continue. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit about Unbound? What what it does and how that differs from traditional publishing. I mean, presumably, yeah. when you got into it, you were just like, I don't even care. But <laughs> no, now, I did. Oh, I don't. But, <laughs> but now that you're kind of embedded and you've mm-hmm. been working here a little while, can you explain and talk a little bit more about it? Yeah. So, Unbound is the world's first um, crowdfunded um, or crowdfunding publisher. Mm-hmm. So, what that means is that um, the authors they create a little video and then they actually ask people. Um, to support their book through pledging for it, so mm-hmm. pre-orders, and they need to reach a certain target in order for the book to go ahead, basically. So they raise all the funds needed um, to create the book, and that is completely different from traditional publishers. Um, it's quite a transparent process. It's quite an... Ex- what's the word? It's quite... Um, they're kind of exposing themselves. They're really putting themselves mm. out there. But we've realised that it works because... The books that are on our site, you will not find anywhere else. Do you know what I mean, these are real people are really, really passionate about their projects, and that's why they come to us because um, a lot of there is more risk in that way. But I think a lot of publisher, um, traditional publishers, um, they just look at ours and um, look at the projects on our site and think they're quite niche. We do have mm. really, really niche, um, still really interesting, really well written, but sometimes they don't want to take a risk on these kinds yeah. of books. But we believe that these books need to exist, basically. Mm. Um, so this isn't like a last resort kind of way of publishing. It's, it's not for everyone, but um, it's just a really interesting way of publishing. You already have, um, you need about 300-ish um, people, usually. And what that does means that once you've actually written the book, um, there is like a buzz around it already. There's, yeah. You know that there's people out there who like the idea and have supported it. Do people have to pledge a certain amount or can they give what they want? Um, we do have, so on every page, um, on the right-hand side, there are a list of um, different reward levels. Mm-hmm. So the minimum um, is around £10 for our digital and then it kind of goes up and up and up and you can even do like a patron level um, which is usually in the thousands um, mm-hmm. where you get certain rewards. Um, but yeah, you can choose which one you want. You can get um, just a hardback if you want, or you can get a signed hardback, or you can mm-hmm. have dinner with the author, or you know, quite quirky levels. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a nice way of kind of getting rid of the middleman, really, and mm. just putting you, you know, with the author, the reader and the author, just kind of, you know, putting them together. And I think it's just a really interesting way of publishing. And does the amount that a book requires, um, is that sort of set depending on the book? Because obviously if you have 
an anthology, it would be different to one person, say, writing a novel. Presumably there's, there's more people involved, it's yeah. a more collaborative project, and there are more people, bluntly, to pay. So how is that determined? So, um, yeah, you're right. It is completely different, and the targets needed are um, usually quite different. So with a novel... We'll just look at um, you know the word count. We'll look at the binding, you know paperback or hardback. Put in all these other costs like printing and all that stuff, and then come up with a specific figure. With anthologies, we do have to look at how many contributors mm. there are, um, how much um, they're all being paid, because um, that has to be crowdfunded as well. Um, so anthologies do end up being um, quite a lot higher than mm-hmm. um, just a single novel, because we have a lot of fees that we just need to deal with so mm-hmm. it is different depending on the genre to be honest if we were doing a big cookbook or if we were doing um a photography book because the pictures there'll be images and because they'll mainly be in color and the size of the book it'll probably be a big bespoke sized hardback and that will probably be um, a bit more costly than say a poetry anthology mm-hmm. yeah um and so is it harder for people to um go through, if, if they're creating an anthology, is, is it harder for them to do that with you than it would be with a traditional publisher? Because presumably they need more backers um, who are willing to open their wallets more. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I have found some, um, that some editors um, find it a lot easier to do it this way, mm-hmm. um, but um, some have found it challenging. It kind of depends on the editor. Yeah. Um, but because this is such a new way of publishing, everyone's learning, mm-hmm. basically. Um, hmm... I, hmm, how do I answer that actually? Um, I think it is different. Um, I think mainly because it's just that our projects are out there and so everyone can see what percentage everyone's mm-hmm. at and you can even have a look at um, how many people have pledged and even like the names of people um, whose names will also go in the back of the book if they wish. Um, so I think um, sometimes it looks like there is more pressure to succeed with Unbound because it's just out there but if you were Mm -hmm. with a traditional publisher all of this happens behind some kind of veil and then suddenly a book is produced so people only know about it once it's been published or once in the proof stages Mm -hmm. but with Unbound um, everyone knows about the project from the get-go so that can be quite daunting but usually um, usually it works out pretty well because um, if you are passionate about it and you know if you have got a campaign together and um, it could be a lot easier, a lot smoother, um, but it really does depend on the editor. Mm-hmm. But it's worked out quite well so far. Um, can you talk a little bit about how old the company is, its history, and, and why it was set up originally? Yeah, sure. So Unbound has been going for six years now, and it was set up by three writers who wanted to put... I mean, the old um, motto was putting books in readers' hands, basically. Books are now in your hands. Um, because they realised that they just wanted to get rid of the middleman and put um, authors and readers, um, bring them closer together, basically. And they realised that certain books weren't being published because they deemed too niche and um, too risky by traditional publishers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by setting up Unbound and letting the reader decide which books get published, basically, not us, we just kind of steer we pick a great idea basically but it is the readers who choose Mm -hmm. which books get published and I think they thought that it would be a really interesting idea and it's not actually a new idea apparently this is how you know the Romans did it back in the day and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so um we came onto the scene um people like oh it's so fresh it's so new it's so Mm -hmm. original it's so innovative and it is I guess but it's actually what traditional publishing was thousands of years ago basically Mm -hmm. 
Um, can you talk about some of the notable successes um, that Unbound has had, you know, mm-hmm. the, the really big um, starry publications, and, how, and, and, and why they've worked so well at Unbound while they might not have picked up, uh, been picked up by more traditional publishers? Sure. Um, well, I think the most, um, most recent success, um, which was published last year, was The Good Immigrant, mm-hmm. which was edited by Nika Shukla. Mm-hmm. And He's actually another, another one of our guests. Oh, is he? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, hi, Nikesh. If you ever, <laughs> <laughs> ever listen to this, yeah, yeah. Um, so that worked out pretty well. He came up with this idea with a, one of the other contributors in the book mm-hmm. um, about creating an anthology um, about the experiences of what it's like um, as a person of colour um, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And that hadn't been done before. It had been done in the US. Everyone already had that kind of, about racism, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, um, discrimination. Everyone kind of knew that it was a US thing, you know, um, but it's never really talked about in the UK. Mm-hmm. And there is this thing that you have to be like the model immigrant. You have to do things a certain way. Um, and so, yeah, he put that together. He worked with Rachel, who's our editor at large, and that just did exceptionally well, to be honest. Um, it, I think, hmm, I think it raised um, all its money. I think it hit 100% in three days, which was a record for us. And even JK Rowling um, got a wind of it and she put in some money and supported it. And it was, it kind of seemed like an overnight success, but obviously mm. like, Nikesh has been working hard and getting the idea together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just great to see. I wasn't working at Unbound at the time, but even I knew about it all the mm-hmm. way up in Aberdeen, you know, being miserable in my, ge- <laughs> in my geology. Um, looking at rocks. <laughs> looking at rocks. Um, I just remember hearing about it on Twitter and thinking, oh my goodness, there's actually going to be a book about British, black and Asian people, a collection of essays. And I couldn't believe it Mm. because everything I'd read, especially essays and anthologies, they're all about American Mm -hmm. people. And there is this thing in this country where um, no one wants to believe that things like racism and discrimination and all that stuff, people don't want to believe it exists, basically. I think it was also particularly... um... I don't know whether you call it a good moment or a mm-hmm. bad moment for it. You know, 2016, yeah. it became a lot harder to ignore. These things were a lot more mm-hmm. open and talked about. Mm-hmm. And it seems like this really um, captured a moment when people were willing to Definitely. see the things that had always been there. Yeah, I mean, we've been... When I say we, I mean like people of colour. We've been sharing our experiences for years. But now people actually decided to listen, basically. Um because I think a lot of people, especially when Trump came into power, people were seeing a lot more, and you know, people filming incidences on their phones and stuff. Suddenly people were like, oh my goodness, racism is alive? I can't believe this is happening in 2016. I can't believe this is happening in 2017. It's like, we've been telling you this. It's only now that, um, <laughs> it's only now that you're actually seeing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was, that was interesting. But yeah, that did really, really well. It was um, Radio 4's Book of the Week. Um, last October um, and it was nominated for various awards and we were just really really proud of it and even coming to work at Unbound that was the book that was the standout book um, for me even though it was only in its proof stages I was just so excited and I knew I just had to be part of this company that you know that was publishing a book like this to Mm -hmm. be honest I don't think Nikesh went anywhere else with his idea um, okay, that's interesting. So he always wanted to, to come to Unbound? I think so. I don't think he took the project um, somewhere else to mm. begin with. I might be wrong, but I don't think he took it anywhere else. Um, 
and I'm glad he didn't to be honest um but I was just blown away by it to be mm-hmm. honest and I was just and the passion that he put into it was incredible can you talk to me a little bit about a couple of the projects that you're currently working on and how how your job works within this model of publishing mm-hmm. Um, so I'm working on quite a few anthologies at the moment mm-hmm. um, because I love them. I love to read them and I love to hear from um, underrepresented voices. And so I'm doing um, an anthology called Pride Not Prejudice, um, which um, is a collection of essays by trans and non-binary people in the UK. And mm-hmm. that's going to be edited by Helen Belcher. And we launched... When did we launch that? We launched that in the spring. And I just... That was the first book that I brought to Unbound, and I was an intern when I um, brought that project along, so I was thrilled when, um, even though I was very low down in the company, I was thrilled that I was allowed to go ahead with that project, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I'm um, very, very passionate about, um, and I don't think um, a, a trans anthology like that has been done before, mm-hmm. um, and what's great about that is that we now have, it's not the token anthology, um, because sometimes that tends to happen. Once something with like a good immigrant comes out, people are like, oh, okay, you don't need any more anthologies about, you know, um, minority voices. You know, that's the one. But I think when we introduce, you know, a lot more, it kind of proves that the space for, the space for more. We're not that kind. Of, we're not that publisher that will just have success with one and think, okay, great, job's done. You know, mm. whatever. And so we're doing that, which is great. We're, I'm doing an anthology um, called Cut from the Same Cloth, mm-hmm. and that is. Um, an anthology about British hijabis, mm-hmm. so just hijabi wearing Muslim women as well. And I'm also doing an anthology about um, millennials as well, which is called No Filter. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I'm mainly on the anthologies at the moment. And you also understand um, sort of looking after a book uh, called How to Come Alive Again by yes. Beth McNichol. Beth McCall. Beth McCall, yes, sorry. Yes. And um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and the importance of, of, of her book and, sure. and the way she looks at, at mental health issues? Sure. So Beth McCall is amazing. She's, she's wonderful. So she is a writer. Um, she writes for many different like, magazines and she's quite big on Twitter. Um, we came up with the... I mean, she'd actually written a lot of it beforehand and it was only really by chance that I emailed her... Um, thinking, you know, I, I approached her saying, would you like, um, have you ever thought about writing a book? You know, I do that quite a lot in my job. I do kind of cold call people <laughs> sometimes and be like, oh, have you ever thought about writing a book? I like your writing style, blah, 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 blah. And then through a series of meetings, we kind of, um, she was very, very passionate about talking about mental health, not just mm-hmm. her journey, um, but how to come alive again, to name her book, you know, after, um, going through some mental health episodes and how to actually, you know, come out of it. Um, and I just thought it was really important, to be honest. We have had um, loads of mental health books over the mm-hmm. past few years, but this one's so different because she, the way she writes, it's like she's your best friend. Mm. Um, and it's not patronising, it's not, right, you need to do this, this and this um, in order to um, be happy again. Um, it's not academic either mm-hmm. um but it's just it's love it's lovely even and we have an excerpt of it on um we have a little excerpt on the funding page and i think that's mainly how um people were just like oh i need to um help 
to create this book because mm. the way she writes is just so unique mm. and even the video that we produce for it I'm actually I have a little starring role in it right at the end um I think her personality came across um really well and it funded within just a few months or something and now mm. it's now at like 120 percent or something I sort of wanted to ask about that because obviously she's incredibly charismatic I've Very, watched yeah. the video and you immediately want to respond to her yes. and um and, and want to, to fund the book mm-hmm. presumably for some other writers who are more introverted mm-hmm. um producing these videos yeah. and putting themselves out there is yeah. a lot harder than that you know they would struggle and it's not their uh you know it's not what they would want to do naturally Definitely, yeah so how do you help authors to produce these videos which are after all the means to getting their book published with unbound mm-hmm. so commissioning editors are yeah quite involved in the um, video process obviously it's not for everyone not everyone can you know be like pie you know my book is amazing I'd love for you to fund it you know straight to the camera um, so there are different avenues you can take we do advise that you do do some kind of video whether it's a voiceover whether you get you know an actor to maybe do a voice for you mm. even an animation we've even had some like stop motion videos and stuff like that um, we just find something that suits the author mm-hmm. and just tailor make tailor make it to fit the person's personality but also get the points across um which is this book needs this book can only exist with your help this is the book i'm creating you know this is why and you'll see in all our videos that they're all so different and Mm -hmm. it is because all our authors are different and we take the time out um we take the time just to make sure that our authors are just really comfortable Mm -hmm. with the stuff that they're putting out there and um we, we film the video and then it goes um, to our videographer to edit and everything, but the author is involved every step of the way, even writing their scripts. They're, you know, it's their own scripts, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I nip, nip and you know, tweak it and nip and tuck it a little bit, um, but it's completely the author's, you know, words, what they want to put out there. And, so, and they have the final say over whether they like the video or not, or whether they want things chopped and changed. And so it's, it's the author's own basically, but we tailor make it, um, to make sure it fits every kind of author that we have, which is a very eclectic mix. And um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to try and get you to really go into the weeds here, but sure. how does it work from an author's, um, you know, perspective? Mm-hmm. So, say um, they have a book and they have a, an agent. If it's a it's a novel, they've mm-hmm. already written it. They've got an agent. Mm-hmm. Would the agent bring it to you as one of the possible options? Yeah. Or do you generally approach writers? Um, it's a mixture of both, actually. We're one of those publishers where we do accept unsolicited manuscripts mm-hmm. as well. So um, if you go on our website, um, you can just submit your um, manuscript to us, or you can even submit um, a few chapters, or you can even submit the idea, basically, that you have. Um, but there is a level of scouting as well, where commissioning editors, if um, we know of a rise that we want to approach, we just approach either via an agent, or if they don't have an agent, not an agent. There are so many avenues, basically, mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really good that way. We can always get really, really good projects um, by opening it out and being a bit more broad in mm-hmm. our um, search. Um, so for an author, whether you have an agent or not, you can, um, if you are agentless, usually you can go through the submissions page on our mm-hmm. website and then you'll hear back from us um, within a few weeks, so four to eight weeks, the standard. Um, if you do have an agent, sometimes the agent does bring things mm-hmm. over and they choose a specific um, editor to go to. Um, we ha- sit down, have discussions, usually with the author, 
um, hopefully like there. And um, we talk about whether Unbound is the place um, for the author because sometimes, voice is going, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, sometimes, we do make it very clear that um, our publishing model isn't for everyone, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, And so we just need to make sure that they know that from the Mm get-go because it is a very... um, what's the word it is quite time consuming trying to do a crowdfunding campaigns even if it's like on kickstarter or indiegogo whatever it is time consuming um so we just need to make sure that the author knows what they're getting into basically and then after that so once we've all gone away we've decided um that we'd like to take the book on board um the commissioning editor goes away and they cost the project and what that means is that we come up with the exact amount of money you need to raise the book and so we have a costing model on the back end of the site and I'll put in, you know, the word count, the binding we're going to do, so paperback or hardback, um, whether it has images or not. Um, we even um, put the cost of hiring the videographer. If the author is having a launch party, we even put in the costs for that. Um, if it's an anthology, the cost of um, all the, um, the fees of all the contributors, all the editorial fees, structural edits, copy edits, everything is in mm-hmm. there. And then we come up with, that's approved by our um, editorial team. And then um, we come up with a specific um, target that we have to raise. And then that goes back to the agent um, with a breakdown of the costing. That yeah. goes back to the author as well. Um, we have a few more meetings about that. And if they're happy with that, send over a contract. And then um, we discuss the video and what to do for the video. Um, and then after that, we just... Um, work out the copy for the website come up with some pledge levels they can be the standard ones we can add some quirky ones in there like dinner yeah uh, or something like that which is great and then um, we just pick a launch date and we put it on the site and it's out there and it goes live it goes live yeah Um, so I'm I'm wondering how this works in terms of um, advance do you offer authors advances or is it just a completely different system? They don't get an advance and they essentially have a, a fundraising target. Yeah, so um, we're in talks of um, perhaps um, changing things up a little bit, um, but we usually don't offer advances, but we do do a 50-50 um, net profit split um, with ourselves and the author. And um, some authors are a bit like, what? Because they're so used to the traditional publishing model where they get an advance. Um, at the start and then get a bit more like after publication that kind of thing um but we don't offer advances mm-hmm. right now um and it's it's worked out okay to be honest um but it does depend really on how the crowdfunding um goes because everything over 100 percent that is um after all the overheads are covered um in the target everything over 100 is the um 50 50 net profit split um so it really does depend on like how much they raise mm-hmm. overall um so it's really hard to kind of put a specific number on how, like how much um they get we can't really forecast yeah. that much to be honest it is quite unpredictable um but as you can see on our site some of our books have gone to like 340 percent or you know things like that some do incredibly well some are a bit more modest mm-hmm. um but it usually works out perfectly fine and when do you call time on a project say you know you've um, chosen to work with an author yeah on a book um, they've put um, their video and their, their pitch out there mm-hmm. and they've got some subscribers but they haven't hit their target. What happens then? Yeah. That is quite rare. Um, it's quite rare that we take a 
book down to be honest there isn't actually like a time limit like there is on kickstarter or indiegogo um so books can be on there for a few years but it's really when an author comes to us being like i've really put my heart and soul into this i don't think i can do it mm. or maybe they their book idea changes and they don't think the book that they were going to write they don't think they can do it anymore that usually is the case a bit more yeah and so um we call them or bring them in sit down with them to make sure that they're 100 percent sure and in that case um we do send out an email to everyone that's pledged so far um offering them their money back mm-hmm. um and then we um start the process of you know removing it um, from the site and obviously everyone gets the money back and then that's that um is quite rare but um that does happen it does definitely happen so what's the the longest a book has been sort of out there and unfinished as it were i'm not too sure actually i think um some hmm i'm not too sure i know there's been some that have definitely been over a year Mm -hmm. um i think a few over two years but I'm not sure that some have been on for like six years or yeah. something like that. I don't, I, I, I look at the site every day and I haven't seen any like that so far. And what do you offer in terms, I mean, obviously book publishing, there's a, a lot that happens behind the scenes. There's yeah. marketing, there's um, uh, sales, there's mm-hmm. um, all, the, all the data, you need the distribution. Mm-hmm. How, um, how does Unbound sort of cope, especially now that we've got very, you know, a landscape of very big, um, conglomerate publishers. Yeah. Um, how how does that operate? We all, we have an inbound um, inbound. <laughs> we have an in house team that do all of that. We've got mm-hmm. a team, a PR team, Amy and Charlotte, who are great. Um, they do our main list PR basically. We have a sales guy, Julian, who's wonderful. We have a data scientist, um, Noelia, as well. Mm-hmm. So we actually have an in house team that deal with all of that just like a professional publisher not professional we are a professional publisher just like um a traditional publisher Mm -hmm. we have all of that the only thing that separates us really from traditional publishing is the fact that we crowdfund first Mm -hmm. and then after the book is um after it hits 100 percent, that's when it goes to the more traditional um Mm -hmm. way of editing production and then the pr um once it's actually you know in your hands as a book so um yeah, we have an in-house team, you know, just just on this side of the wall. Um, we have different departments. Our mm. tech team is closest to us here. And then um, we've got the digital team, we've got the PR team, the production team, the sales and marketing team. We're all here in mm-hmm. this building. And how does it work from the agent's point of view? Um, obviously, with traditional publishing, they get, mm-hmm. you know, 15% or whatever it is. Yeah. How, uh, is that the same with yeah. Unbound? And it's exactly the same, yeah. So, you know if the author is getting 50% of, of sales, mm-hmm. then presumably that works out fairly well for the agent as yeah. well. Yeah, it's pretty much the same as traditional publishing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, was what else was I going to ask? Oh, yeah. What is the... Um, has the this model changed the relationship between the author and their readership? Um, because you get a much clearer sense, I imagine, crowdfunding who your readers are and, and what they want because is there feedback does the, the site allow feedback um, between um, subscribers and authors so do you mean feedback in the way of once they've read the book then no I sort of mean um, while the book's still kind of in the tendering process yeah. while people are still pledging money mm-hmm. is there you know is it possible for authors to get an insight into the kind of people who are yeah. willing to um, to 
fund the book? Yeah, so every author, um, they have an Unbound account, but they have an Unbound author account. So um, when they click on their book, um, um, on the back end of the site, they can see a graph of the process, um, of like how well the book is doing, um, who's pledged for um, what level, how many people have pledged for certain levels, an estimate of how long it will take to fund the book, um, even how much money has been raised and how much money then um, they still need to raise. And they can even see tweets that have generated um, more pledges coming in. They can see all of that, all of the infographics. And it's very visual, there's graphs, and so they can really see a breakdown of you know how well it's doing mm. and how long, ideally, it will take... Um, to fund that kind of thing right there's, there's a there's a birthday in the background oh there's a birthday oh I hear yep yep um, so they, they've got more access um, to the preliminary yeah uh, data than you you might otherwise yeah. have in traditional publishing yeah definitely and I think it's good for the author to see that it's it is pretty transparent they know once they log into the site they know um, how well the campaign is going even if it's stalled a little bit um, they still know roughly how much um or how long it'll probably take to um, fund, to get it to 100%. They can see all of that on the site, which I think um, our feedback from them is that it's really, really helpful. And there is a bit on the site where, well, it says Q&A on the tabs at the bottom of each book page, and um, potential readers or potential pledgers, or if they've pledged already, they can ask questions about the mm-hmm. project, and then either an editor or the author themselves can interact with them, which I think is a really, really important um, tool on our site basically it, it kind of bridges the gap and cuts out the middleman how much um, how much sort of repeat business do you get from one particular author do they tend to come back to Unbound yeah. um, and have a relationship with a particular editor as they might do in, a, in, a, in another publisher mm-hmm. or is there more kind of churn um, because of this model yeah a lot of authors do come back which is great we've heard Robert Llewellyn who mm-hmm. plays Crichton um, in Red Dwarf um, he's done a number of books with us which is great and then some other authors yeah they come back they love the model um, they know what we're about and I think they love you know the kind of crowdfunding process and um, yeah we have a lot of return authors which is really great we build those relationships we do have some that um, for their second novel or another novel they might go elsewhere um, because some books work out better on our site than others basically mm-hmm. so if they change direction and um, if they want to um, explore a new genre um, sometimes they decide that it probably won't work in a crowdfunding sense or if they want it out a bit quicker and they want more of a structure um, of you know when it's going to be published because obviously crowdfunding is quite unpredictable you don't mm-hmm. know how long it will take to fund sometimes they do choose to go elsewhere which is totally fine um, but it's so great to have return authors mm-hmm. and you know coming back with their second book and things like that and it excites all the people who pledged um, for them before but like oh yeah. the second one's coming out oh brilliant brilliant I'll pledge for this I'll get my name in the back of the book for this one you know and they really build really loyal fan bases and a community basically around the author and it's, it's really lovely to see and it's lovely to be part of that how important is social media in all of this um because presumably again it's about getting the word out and, and building a brand yeah. and again some people are more comfortable and are just better at social media um and mm-hmm. sort of promoting themselves and their projects than other people how, how does that work and how does that factor into to what you do so social media is important but and when i came here i thought that it was the thing that drives people to pledge for the books the most 
But um, over the um, year that I've been here, I've realised that that isn't actually the case. A lot of people pledge for Unbound Books um, for the author, to be honest. They're just, they love the author's work, and so they're mainly doing it more for the author and not because they're like a big, big celebrity or whatever. And so we have noticed that even if you have like a couple thousand followers on Twitter, it doesn't mean that your books can get funded mm-hmm. quicker than someone who has 12 followers, basically. Um, direct... But how are people hearing about the, the project? You can kind of do it in different ways. Um, we do um, like the author to go into their personal networks, even if it's family, friends, whatever, and just make sure that they know about it first so that, you know, in a circle, they know about it first and then um, move it, move out that way and then if they do have social media twitter or facebook whatever then they can um you know promote it on there with a link and stuff like that but it we have found that direct emails really Mm -hmm. really help even putting a link to your book saying oh please um support my book um crowdfunding on unbound in your email signature even that helps to be honest direct um communication via your email network or if you've got a newsletter or something that can generate more than just sending out 20 tweets a day about mm-hmm. it, to be honest, because that can get really annoying and yeah. spammy, to be honest. And it can also get lost in... Um, the noise. In the noise, basically, as Although well. I guess it helps if JK Rowling... Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that definitely helps. Um, yeah, if you can get um, someone with a following um, on board with it or to tweet it, I'm sh- yeah, definitely that helps. Mm-hmm. But that's not the be-all and end-all. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times that there are certain kinds of books that tend to do well yeah. um, with the with the Unbound model. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about the kind of books that do tend to do well and the type of books that, that don't? Um, so yeah, so from my point of view, the books that um, tend to do well have a kind of campaign element behind it. So we've recently done um, an anthology about the repeal the Eighth, um, mm-hmm. which is about repealing the Eighth Amendment of the Irish Constitution. And obviously that is a big... Thing at the moment um it's going there might be a referendum about that that kind of thing um so that's what i mean by that so when it comes to my non-fiction that kind of hasn't has to have some kind of campaigny element behind it but even if it's fiction um we do have one called like um, a book called um the story distorted um that also has a kind of campaigning element um behind it as well even though it's fiction books that tend not to do well. I'm not too sure actually, because even our most niche projects, they always find a way to work. There's always an audience for something. Um, I mean, presumably it's very different for fiction and non-fiction, and yeah. there must be um, an appeal to the system yeah. more for um, for fiction writers, I imagine, because if you have written a novel, mm-hmm. you already ha- you already have the words. Yeah. Um, so you can come to Unbound and mm-hmm. you're immediately taking it to an audience, even if you're not actually letting the audience read it yet, you're already taking it to an audience. But I imagine the lack of advance mm-hmm. is harmful to um, non-fiction writers who might spend three years um, researching a project. Is, is that why your model might be changing in terms of advances? Yeah, I wouldn't say not having a, an advance is harmful because mm. it's very clear on our site. Um, our main list books, um, most of them are non-fiction mm. and some of them have done exceptionally well yeah. um, without advances because um, there is the 50-50 profit share which yeah. um, a lot of the time works out a lot better 
than um, just having quite a small advance. I mean, what I'm saying is in the, in the long run, that works out better. Yeah. But while you're writing... Yeah, while you're writing, yeah, it could be a bit like, oh, oh, okay, I, don't, <laughs> I don't actually, you know, have an advance. Hmm. Um, yeah, so when it comes to the difference between fiction and non-fiction books, um, there are two avenues to go down with Unbound. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I keep talking about the main list, um, I talk about um, the books that have the higher targets, um basically in the um, kind of mid to yeah in the mid thousands and those are the ones that are turned into um, hardback mm-hmm. books and then we have the um, original paperback and the digital list which is a very very exciting thing and that's where a lot of our um, debut fiction goes and they have smaller targets of around about four thousand pounds yeah and it's a lot easier for um, first-time writers and um, a lot of fiction writers to raise you know that much money mm-hmm. um and their book gets turned into um, a paperback and it still gets the same treatment um with you know the cover design um and everything like that and that's where a lot of our fiction goes it but it really does depend mm-hmm. basically but yeah not having an advance um a lot of authors are a bit you know shocked at first mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing but we are a, a small publishing house and we mm-hmm. it's just not something that we're offering right now yeah but we have um realized over the six years of the 50 50 profit um split um has worked mm. and we have the evidence you know we've heard best-selling books and yeah you know with that model something that's come up again and again in conversations with authors and also with with um, some publishers as well is that they uh, authors are told that there just simply isn't a readership for a certain type of book mm-hmm. and that can be very frustrating um mm-hmm. if you're convinced that there is a, a readership but they're just not being spoken to Mm -hmm. do you feel do people come to unbound feeling that this is a way to prove that there is that readership out there and can you talk a little bit more about um unbound in terms of diversity and and the help that can give um writers who are um stonewalled by traditional publishers sure yeah we do get a lot of um authors who have come from traditional publishing they've taken it maybe they've got an agent and um, they've gone to a publisher and the publisher's gone back being like, oh no, I don't think, you know, you know, that. And so they do come to us and that, oh, yeah, there's, you know, the, I, I believe there is a readership for this, blah, blah, blah. And we do it the same way. We don't just take projects on um, just for the sake of it and just to, even just as a risk, like, oh yeah, there might be a readership, blah, blah. We do genuinely look at, you know, the proposal, what is, you know, what they're planning to do, if they've written stuff, you know, what they're looking at. And then um, along with them, we do make the decision whether to go on board with it or not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting one. It has happened um, where they kind of proved traditional publishers wrong. Um, it does happen quite a lot, actually. And it's always really lovely to see when we actually have a book in our hands that wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have existed otherwise with the traditional publisher. Um, and it's really, really nice. So that does happen. Uh, in terms of diversity, it's there is a problem in publishing in general. Um, I even remember um, Candice, um, when you interviewed her, um, talking about it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a problem. There aren't mm-hmm. enough um, black people. There aren't enough working class people. Um, things are changing mm-hmm. slowly. Um, but the way I see it is that it's interesting because there are you know black and you know, Asian people quite low down in the company but there are very 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 few even very few women in the decision making yeah. um, 
roles. And I think that is what needs to change, really. Um, it's a tough one. I feel like I haven't been in this industry that long, but um, I gen- like genuinely um, in publishing, there definitely, definitely is a problem. At Unbound, it's interesting. Um, we've had a lot of new staff um, over the past couple of months, and I'm just very glad that I'm not the only black editor. We do have mm. another one, um, which is great. We have um, some more people of colour, like as the head of content, um, in the finance team, in the data team, that kind of thing. So, and also different um, classes, more working class people, in, like LGBT people. And so I think we're, I don't know, Unbound is, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're leading the way in diversity, but we do, I'm just happy that they've acknowledged that they have a problem, like they had a problem within their company, like Unbound, and they've actually done things about it. And I was just happy because I came through um, to Unbound um, as an intern, and it's because Unbound decided that they wanted um, an intern from a black, mm. Asian, or a mixed ethnicity um, thing. They actually took the initiative to actually get in touch with Creative Access and was like, oh yeah, please, um, you know, find us, you know, some interns and stuff. And so that was. That was the first step. I think that was a good step, mm-hmm. definitely. And I wouldn't be here without, you know, creative access. So um, from uh, the kind of the macro level back down to you personally, yeah. what is it that you spend your day doing? What, get you, what gets you excited about publishing? And is it what you expected it to be? Uh, what gets me excited? Oh, I actually love working here. I can't even lie. It's, oh, it's so wonderful. And it's mainly because I get the freedom, basically, even though I'm you know, I'm still so new to this industry, I get the creative freedom to work on books and projects that I really love and believe in and I believe um, should exist, basically. Um, a normal working day um, involves a lot of emails, a lot of reading of manuscripts, uh, especially from the submissions, we get a lot through. And so we read some of them. I have meetings with authors, meetings with agents, um, that kind of thing. I also have a list of people that I'm thinking of approaching about book ideas mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it also involves me putting copy on the website, um, building um, authors' pages, basically, all on the back end. So it also includes coding. And because I've got um, a little bit of experience in blogging, um, where I used to code my own stuff, um, I can kind of use um, I can use that um, to help with um, this job, but I know it sounds really cliche, but every um, every day is different here as well, um, and it's a lovely place to work. It's yeah, every day is different, and it's just so great, basically. Um, so, how do you go about choosing the projects that you will um, that you decide to sort of take forward? Um, are you more inclined to go for a project that you uh, that you sort of know the the author or you've seen their work and you've approached them, or do you find a lot coming through for submissions that actually really grabs you? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, we get incredible sub- um, manuscripts and ideas through submissions. Um, I think there is this thing in the industry, uh, well, in publishing, where you know there's a slush pile of um, you know with unsolicited. Um, with um, authors with un, you know with unsolicited manuscripts and you know it's always like a chore to read them and that kind of thing, but um, it's one of the joys of being an editor, people you know submitting to Unbound and it coming through to my email and I just look at um, their proposal their like kind of mini proposal that they fill out on the website and just read through it and um, 
I kind of um, highlight the ones that um, I would personally like to work on. Mm -hmm. And then um, I just have a chat with um, Matthew, head of publishing, um, and I kind of say why I like it and, mm -hmm. you know, whether it could work with Unbound and we have that kind of discussion first. Do you have to pitch it to the whole rest of the team before you go ahead no, with it? or is it not just at all. A one-on-one -on -one conversation? Yeah, one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, not at all. Um, but sometimes, <laughs> some, not that we fight over projects, but sometimes more than one editor wants um, a project. And um, a lot of the time um, it's like a collaborative thing with um, two... Um, with two editors, um, and that's usually a really good sign, to be honest, because it proves that um, the idea or the manuscript is really, really great. Um, that happens quite a lot, actually, and mm -hmm. I find that quite exciting, actually. Um, but yeah, um, I just love reading the proposals, because they're so different. We can have like a, an idea for a cookbook one day, an idea for like a murder mystery or a thriller the next, or like a memoir, or um, a photography book or something. It's just so different every single day and we just get loads of notes coming through. Um, obviously, it's the same as every publisher that um, that does unsolicited manuscripts, that some aren't so great, um, but there's always just the gems in there. Mm -hmm. And so I do spend a lot of time here um, just going through and just reading, 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 just to try and find those those real gems that I, would, I have to work on that I won't let anyone else have. Like, I, have to, <laughs> I have to work on, yeah. Well, I think that's a really positive um, <laughs> note to end on. Uh, all our listeners will no doubt be trying to, to pitch those gems uh, to you. Why not? Thank you so much for, for giving me your time and talk, to talking to me so honestly um, about Unbound. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hello, it's us again with a swift update from our lives. Cassia, what have you been up to? I have been um, continuing to work on the next chapter of my book, uh, which has been made slightly tricky by <laughs> moving house, um, uh, which is, is always is always fun. Or moving back into your house. Moving back into my house, which is, is now beautiful and lovely, and I'm sure I'm going to get lots of great work done here. And it's also very colourful. It is very colourful. Uh, we're back in Cassia's shed after a long absence. It's now accessorised with a lemon tree. Yeah. <laughs> and a moderately obedient dog. Um, very, which is quite sleepy. We're, we're doing this in, in slight short order because I have to travel uh, this evening to Africa for a story, which I'm looking forward to. And I've also been cracking on with my book. Um, Cassia's told me I'm too downbeat about that. So it's, <laughs> it's some forced enthusiasm. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this has been Always Take Notes, hosted as ever by me, Simon Aikum. And me, Cassie Sinclair. Our producers are Olivia Crellin, Ed Kiernan and Liz Davies. Our music is by Jess Danheiser. Our social media is handled by Zara Hankier and James Edgar does our graphic design. Of course, we're on all manner of social media. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Always Take Notes. And we're also on Twitter at Take Notes Always. And our website is alwaystakenotes.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. Thank you very much. Bye.